Welcome to another episode of the Illusions and Truth Show with Robert Scheinfeld. Welcome to another opportunity to exchange limiting and restricting lies, illusions, and stories for a direct and consistent experience of truth. Okay, cool. Welcome to episode 21. Episode 21 is the first part of a two-part podcast. So in the next episode, you'll get the conclusion. In part one and part two, I'm going to be sharing an interview that I did recently on Blog Talk Radio on the Enlightenment Evolution Network. And the actual show was called the Soulfulpreneur Talk Radio. The hosts of the show were Megan Crandelmeyer and Rachel Archelaus. I hope I pronounced that correct. I just knew her as Rachel, but I think it's Archelaus is her last name. Uh, they asked me to come on the show, and I ended up talking an awful lot about the teachings that I share, going through the Busting Loose Phase 2 teachings, as I call them, going into some of the Phase 3 Ultimate Freedom teachings, uh, which I'm currently sharing at the time of this podcast episode. And I just really enjoyed the interview, and I felt some really valuable information came out through the dialogue that I thought you might find interesting, supportive, helpful, transformative, whatever word you want to use. At the end of part two, you will hear uh, various things about the show on Blog Talk Radio that this took place on. But if you do want to check that out and perhaps subscribe to their show or other things, just go to Blog Talk Radio, B-L-O-G, T-A-L-K-R-A-D-I-O dot com and search for Enlightenment Evolution Network or search for the Soulfulpreneur radio show and you can get more information on it. Okay, uh, with no further delay, no further ado, in a couple of seconds you will hear the beginning of the interview. I edited out some of the announcements which were unique for the audience of that show So it may seem like the interview is kind of starting in the middle of a sentence or whatever, but that's just how I edited it. So enjoy part one and be sure to stay tuned, subscribe, or do whatever else you need to do if you're interested to be able to get access to part two when it comes out, which will be the conclusion of the interview. Enjoy. Yeah. So we we got that done. Yeah. So all of our prerequisites are done now. And (laughs) I'm going to tell you a little bit about Robert Scheinfeld. Um, you know, normally Megan and I talk about our experiences with the guest and and everything, but we want so much time for Robert to speak that we're just going to skip that today. You'll you'll get the gist of how his work has influenced us in the conversation. Um, it's been quite vast and continues. So, yeah, definitely listen in. Feel free to ask questions too. Don't be shy today. So for more than 20 years, Robert Scheinfeld has been helping people worldwide create extraordinary results in less time, with less effort, and much more fun. Robert captivates audiences through his unique and memorable personal stories of transformation and by sharing valuable and empowering insights from his own rich life. Robert began his path to discovering true success at age 12 when his tycoon grandfather, founder of Manpower, Inc., the world's largest temporary help service and Fortune 150 company, told him 
true success is based on your ability to tap power in the invisible world. Unfortunately, his grandfather died before he could finish teaching Robert about the invisible world and other secrets of his success. Scheinfeld, however, was determined to unlock the mystery of success by discovering the inner workings of his grandfather's invisible world. During his journey, Robert spent over 33 years on what he now calls the treasure hunt of the century. Along the way, he became a multimillionaire and self-proclaimed stressed-out maniac. I don't think there's any one of us who couldn't relate to that. <laughs> That's awesome. Plunged $153,000 in debt and spent seven years struggling before he solved the mystery his grandfather left him at such a young age. His busting loose body of work reveals his discoveries and how you can apply them to create true success in your life. Robert's keynote speeches, seminars, books, audios, and other learning resources have helped tens of thousands of people in more than 190 countries transform their definitions of success and the pathways they follow to create success in their lives. His busting loose body of work reveals his discoveries and how you can apply them to create true success in your life. More than providing more of the same old, same old, or another rah-rah motivational jump-up that doesn't last, an interaction with Robert empowers you to see with unusual clarity, act with newfound confidence, and transform the results you produce in your life and work. He gets you on track, laser-focused, and tapping into a new kind of power to finally experience the true financial freedom you've been searching for. And he writes and works from his home in Virginia. Uh, yeah, so he's got lots of great classes. He doesn't only have the busting loose information as well. Um, he has more, and hopefully we'll talk to him about that too. So let's see. I have a Skype call, and I have numbers that may be him, but I don't have anything that matches what we've got, so bear with me as I try to find Robert. Hello? Hi, Colin. Hi. Great to talk to you. Can you hear me? Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, really exciting. It is for me, too. I appreciate the opportunity to share about the teachings. Excellent. So um, I know your bio is is very extensive, but is there anything that you'd want to add to that? I just say that because I've been going through um, the Ultimate Freedom course that you offer, and and I know there's more to you than just the busting loose stuff. Well, I, I think a place, a good place to start is for everybody to realize, and you may already, that I have been built to be uh, the ultimate renegade and naysayer in a sense. And that's because of the dialogue I had with my grandfather as a child and because in trying to fix my own life and change my own life and produce the results that I wanted when I was younger and seeing so many of the common prescriptions and formulas fail, I finally just jettisoned everything and said, there's got to be something that I don't know. There's got to be something that nobody else is teaching, and I want to find it. So I threw all the theories, I threw all the ideas and concepts, everything out, and I said, all right, I'm only going to go now based on what I can see in my own experience being brutally honest about the truth of things. 
And that's when the real breakthrough started to happen for me. But it came from failure and desperation from trying so many other paths. And then once I started on this journey, I just kept being taken deeper and deeper and deeper into what I call the truth with a capital T. And every time there was a major breakthrough, I would pop up and offer a debrief of what I had just discovered and experienced. Again, not ideas and concepts, but actually experienced. And that debrief may have been a book, may have been a workshop, may have been a course or whatever. And so I've kind of been narrating real time this journey deeper into truth with a capital T that began when I was 12, as you said, but but moved through its most intense and breakthrough phases in the last 10 years. Awesome. Yeah. And I love that even though you're evolving and your story is, you know, your perspective is changing a bit over the years as you learn more, what you've created in the past still holds true for certain people on their journey as well. So I love that. Um, most of the people listening have, have read Busting Loose because Megan and I are such evangelists for it. We just love that book. And and so most of the people listening are familiar with the terminology and everything. And I know Megan had a question for you to start off with, so I'll let her take over. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask uh, probably a very common question, but I figured since it came up for me and I know it came up for people I know that were reading the book, um, the concept of other people and that other people are not real, that we script what they're going to say to us. I have to say that this part of the book, you know, it, it freaked me out a bit. And I actually, I think I put the book down for a month or so. And I used to talk with Rachel and say, I feel really alone. I feel like I'm the only one who exists and everybody else is in my imagination. Um, so, Robert, do you want to address that? Because I think that what, how I've um, come to understand it maybe more is maybe I'm not exactly scripting what everyone else is saying, but almost it's my filter, what I'm allowing myself to hear. What are your thoughts on on that? I could probably spend the whole hour just addressing that. So I, <laughs> I know. that's probably going to be the case of a lot of these questions. The first thing I want to say is the book was designed to do many things, but one of the things it was really designed to do was to take a hammer to many of the things that people believe are true and to, and to hammer at them until they shatter, which opens up the opportunity for something new. So there are certain things like that that were designed to be a hammer that would shatter old things. Um, And then sometimes those things, you know, in the shattering got taken a little bit too far or got misinterpreted. But the point of a lot of this was first to shatter the old to create the opportunity for the new. And so in the old, everybody's a, a separate individual and everyone has free will and everyone has this and that and everyone is a you know whatever soul in a body or whatever it is and one of the things that it was important my bias to shatter was that and so that's where this was coming from at the highest level if you will was to shatter the old to open for the new in terms of where we go beyond that it's um it's difficult because Until somebody actually experiences the truth with a capital T of things, then all we can do is talk about metaphors and ideas and concepts, and they always 
are like a crutch, you know. They can be useful to a point, but then something else has to happen. So as I've moved much more deeply into truth, the metaphor that's gotten much more accurate for me and that can actually be experiential, not just some theory or cool spiritual whatever, is to imagine that all of us are characters in a story. Just like if you read a novel or you watched a movie and there's characters in a story. And if you're reading a great novel, you're reading a great story, there's all these characters and there's all these things that happen and there's also one writer. The characters are all, if you will, an expression of the one author. If you look at Harry Potter, which is one of the examples I like to use because it's such a powerful, popular novel in movies now, um, there's one author, J.K. Rowling, but there's hundreds of characters. And the characters, male, female, rich, poor, good, evil, uh, small roles, big roles, but they're all an expression of the author, J.K. Rowling. They appear to be individuals. They appear to think. They appear to make decisions. They appear to do stuff. But ultimately, it's the consciousness, if you will, the creativity, whatever you want to call, of the author, J.K. Rowling, that shapes itself into the characters and everything that happens. And my bias, my experience, is that it's the same thing with us. There's one author of what you might call the human story, and then we are all characters in that. So it's not that you are real, but all the other characters aren't, that you're somehow more real or better or something. It's that all of us are characters in a story, and none of us are the author of the story, or the writer of the story, there's another author or writer. And here's where it gets tricky because, and here's where you get into stuff like oneness and all these other kinds of things, is that if you look again at the metaphor of J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter and all the characters, you can't separate Harry Potter from J.K. Rowling. They're one. You can't take J.K. Rowling out of Harry, and you can't take Harry out of J.K. Rowling. They're one. And so my bias, just using a very quick metaphor when we don't have a lot of time, is that that's what's really going on. That, yes, we're all connected and we're all one, and in a way we're all the writer, but we're, from our perspectives, we're characters in this amazing story um, that I call now the human story. I used to call it the human game, but I've changed the language because story is a much more accurate metaphor to me. Well, I love that. That that helps me. I know I'm going to have to go back and reflect on it, but that that's helpful and perhaps is a little soothing to my fear that I was the only one existing. Obviously, I know I'm not, but then sometimes you get caught in your head. So Yeah, and, and I didn't mean us- it that way. <laughs> I did mean to shatter the old, as I said, but I, I didn't. I, when I was talking about you in, in that sense, I was always talking about consciousness, who we really are, the non-physical part what I'm now recalling the writer and the author. And that was something that was misunderstood a lot, which I take responsibility for, but I didn't mean it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it is something, as you said, that many people struggled with. Others did not. Um, but uh, this is how I now see it and, and revised a little bit with some more clarity after knocking out a lot more cloud cover and experiencing so many more aspects of this. Awesome. Well, it does lead into one other question I have, and then I'll let um, Rachel ask some of her questions. But 
Um, so some of what you're saying is, and I was listening to Journey to the Infinite, which I, I loved, um, because, it, and I liked how the, as you said, the multimedia experience of, of hearing you talk and seeing visuals um, is, is really reinforcing. But the idea that there's the small you, which is the everyday, you know, Megan living on Earth and having this conversation, and that there's a bigger you, an expanded self. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the Seth material. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, that material was very impactful on me in my teens. My uncle gave oh. me that book when I was 16, and it completely blew my circuits. Yeah. <laughs> and I lived and breathed that for a really long time. But I have to say that ultimately on my journey, after knocking out a lot of cloud cover before I began what I call the drilling operation through the cloud cover, I discovered that to my bias, a lot of the stuff that's in that is not true, is not accurate if you apply it to us as the characters in the story, mm-hmm. but it's certainly true if you apply it to the author part of us, you know, the real us. So it was very impactful. It shaped my, my journey for a long time, and I was thrilled when I found out there were more books in the Seth series after reading that one because I didn't know. But ultimately, I had to abandon a lot of that stuff at an experiential level because I was shown something else to be true. Okay. Yeah, because um, you know that material goes into the fact that Seth and Jane Roberts, who's channeling Seth, are really all part of one entity or a higher one, larger expanded self in a way. So it re- reminded me a little bit of your work and your teachings um, that – we only think of ourselves as the small you here, but yet there's the big you. Uh, and that that's where, that's the, where our thoughts are creating our reality. Cause we, we hear that phrase all the time. Your thoughts create your reality, but in journey to the infinite, you talk about how our small you thoughts don't create our reality, that it's, it's the big you. Well, see, ultimately uh, again, where I went, is what do you actually observe if you're brutally honest at looking at what you actually experience? And again, Mm -hmm. I could talk for hours on this, but just to do this real quick, so to speak. If your thoughts really created your reality, you know, and the precise language is whatever you hold in your most dominant thoughts will manifest, Mm -hmm. then every time you have dominant in your thoughts that I'm just being very general here and judgmental, you know, something good's going to happen. It ought to happen, except it doesn't. Yeah. And every time that you have something in your dominant thoughts that bad, you know, that you're afraid of or you're worried about happening, but it's in your dominant thoughts, then that bad thing ought to happen, except it doesn't. And then the other thing that blows them both out of the water, because there are people that can argue, you know, it's subconscious limiting beliefs or it's karma or it's whatever else that is why those first two why the good doesn't always happen, why the bad doesn't always happen. The third one that blows it all out of the water is if your thoughts are really creating your own reality, how do you explain the things that happen that you never, ever thought about? Right, right. If stuff happens in your life that you never thought about, there's no choice unless you're in denial except to acknowledge that there is some other creative force that is either creating what happens to you or if you really want to stay with the old line explanations that's modifying your thoughts or whatever, you have to come to that conclusion if you're brutally honest. So if you look at your own experience and you look at it with brutal honesty, you have to conclude, no, my thoughts are not creating my reality. 
And you either have to go down one or two paths. Again, either none of my thoughts have anything to do with it, which is where I ended up, or there's some other force that's modifying, you know, that's determining, that's filtering, you know, whatever. But my experience is, again, Harry Potter may seem like he's choosing and he's, he's defining his own destiny and choosing his path, but it's really the author. Harry can't say anything or do anything or think anything or feel anything or have any experience unless the author wrote it first. And my bias and my experience, after knocking out a lot of cloud cover, is it's the same thing with us. So if you want to keep the language consistent, which you did before, then it would be the quote-unquote thoughts of the author, consciousness, who you really are, whatever you want to call it, expand itself. It's those thoughts that create, but not the thoughts of us. And I don't like big you and small you because small you kind of makes us seem less significant, and, and I, my experience couldn't be further from that. I mean, to me, we're all amazing, and we're part of the author, and this whole thing is beyond amazing, and so I don't like using words like that that diminish. I know you don't mean it that way, but a lot of people no. see it that way, and to me, it's all beyond magnificent and extraordinary, and so I don't tend to use language like that, but anyway. Okay, okay, and and that... Does it make you feel like a puppet sometimes or no? If we're if I feel a little no. like okay, <laughs> like I don't have control but or as well, you I know said, I don't sometimes, have control. Yeah, you say sometimes you know you said your mind runs around with things. The mind can easily buzz and whir, as I call it. The mind's like a computer, you know, it's like a machine, and it can take a look at this on the surface, and it can say, "Wow, if I'm just a character and." I don't have any power and there's a writer, you know, then I'm this little nothing that's being pushed around by this, you know, puppet master. And then depending on what's happening in your life, you can attach all kinds of negative implications to the puppet master, you know, like it's malicious, it's negative, it's torturing you, it's, you know, whatever. But when you actually experience the truth of it, which again is the key to what I consider to be unique about my work, is giving people the opportunity and the pathway to actually experience this stuff not just agree or disagree or accept it or reject it at the idea or concept level, but actually experience it, which is what happens when you knock out enough cloud cover to use our language. Um, when you experience this, it, no, you don't feel like a puppet at all. You feel like part of the unfolding of an extraordinary story. Now, the metaphor falls apart here a little bit, but if you were to go up to Harry Potter somehow and you could talk to him and you were to say to him, hey, do you feel like you're a puppet of J.K. Rowling, you know, and do you feel bad about no, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's a character mm-hmm. in a story. He's an amazing character in a story, you know, and, and we all are. But, you know, again, amazing with a capital A for all of it. No negativity at all, like Puppet or any of that kind of stuff, when you're really experiencing the truth of what's going on. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest reasons I just, it's not even like I fell in love with your book. It was when I was reading the Busting Loose book for the first time, it was the first time where someone gave me the actual tools to do what, you know, the process that it would do. Um, you know, we've all been taught over the years to look at um, manifestation and the law of attraction and that we just need to get rid of our limiting beliefs and we can do that with so many different ways. EFT, the Sedona method, I mean, the list could go on and on. Um, but as you say, you know, none of that works reliably, right? It just doesn't. And then when I was reading your book, even before 
I got to the process, you know, I started, I mean, I grew up with the story that I was, you know, I'm psychic and I'm connected and I, I can see the invisible world. Uh, but it's like that was opening up for me as I was reading it. I could feel that there was more to the book than um, just some regular spiritual book. And when I started applying the process, I actually had the experiences that you were talking about of, you know, synchronicities happening and power um, being in places. And, you know, I could go on and on. Megan and I trade busting loose moments daily. Um, (laughs) It's pretty fun. I have a good one from this week. (laughs) Yeah, she does. So I really want to acknowledge that, you know, you're a different kind of spiritual teacher and you're playing on a different level of the truth than a lot of other books and teachings play on. And I find that to be a helpful metaphor as well, that there are, there are many levels of the truth and it's great to play on all of them, but yours kind of, it has a way to bring us to another level. Can you talk about that at all? Well, that's how I see it. And that's what my bias is. And it just, you know, in my own personal journey, I don't think I talked about this in the book. I can't remember if I talked about it in Journey to the Infinite. But anyway, the truth is, this journey for me began when I was 12 with these discussions with my grandfather. And I got to the point where the same patterns were repeating in my life. And I just up, down, up, down, up, down with money and business and success and relationships, especially romantic, that didn't work. And being, quote, unquote, mistreated. And all these things just kept repeating. And I finally, I believe it was when I was uh, 46 or something, I'm 57 right now, I literally went outside in my backyard and I looked up as if, as if I was talking to what you might call consciousness, God, source, whatever. And I got really mad. And I said, look, you started me on my journey, this journey when I was 12. You know what? I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've paid my dues. I've done my due diligence. I've, I've gone down every path. You know, I still thought I had a choice at that point. But, you know, and obviously there's something I don't know here. There's obviously something I'm not seeing. And I actually said, either you show me what I don't see, either you show me what the truth is, or kill me, because I won't, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. I was at absolute low point of desperation. Now, I wasn't interested anymore in spiritual ideas that were interesting or that were what I call sexy or that, you know, gave me a lot of power that was a very appealing thing. It was like, I don't care what it is, and I don't care what I have to do. I want to know what the truth is with capital T's, and I want to experience it. And if you aren't going to give me that, then get me the hell out of here because I won't, I can't do this anymore. And it was eight months later that these teachings started to appear first as ideas and concepts or seeing things in my mind, and then it became more and more experiential. But it was because I, and this isn't a magic formula, you know, get angry or get get desperate and then ask, and, you know, the truth will be revealed to you. But what happened in my story is I was asking, in a sense, part of my story, part of my journey was about going to this deeper level that you referred to, and so that's what I got. And I I studied so many of the other things. I tried so many of the other things. So what I was asking for was, you know, take me deeper. Show me what no one seems to be talking about. Whatever. That's what I was begging for. And as it turned out, that's what came. 
But, you know, just like Harry Potter's destiny in his story was to defeat the ultimate bad guy, Voldemort, this doesn't make me anybody special or more enlightened or anything else. It's just in the Robert Scheinfeld story, this is what was meant to happen. Uh, he was supposed to go down this path and, and bump into all these walls and get desperate and then slowly but surely start to see the truth and then experience it. And then it's just the nature of the story. You know, I was written as a character to do that, just like Harry Potter was written as a character to defeat Voldemort and be able to have magic. But it doesn't make me special, and it doesn't make me more evolved or an older soul or anything like that. It's just what my story was about. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you do, you know, you, you take judgment out of everything, and and it puts everybody on the same playing field. And I think I notice a lot, even in, you know, spiritual communities, how everybody has their own point of view, but no one really um, allows that to be okay. And so... It's wonderful and liberating to know that we can all have our own storyline and, you know, it's all correct. On one level, everybody's existence is truth, um, you know, and, and that's a wonderful and liberating thing. Another and any, thing. Any sort of a cause and effect story within that can appear to be true it also if that's the way the, the author wrote it you know, which explains so many of these things that seem to be true, and there's evidence for them and all these kinds of things. It's just a question of what the author, what consciousness, what I now call true creative essence, what does it want to play with and explore, and what kind of a story does it want to experience at a total immersion level? And then it writes everything to happen in order to support that particular whatever. And nothing is better or worse or more or less evolved, or whatever else. It's just, what's the story about? Yeah. It seems like I interrupted you, though. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that um, what you're teaching, it it has some things in common with a popular metaphysical storyline of ascending to the fifth dimension. and And it's cool to look at the differences and then the similarities to what you talk about. And I know you do, um, you study a lot of this stuff. Did you have any comments on that? Well, again, to me, and I, I have no judgment in this, and I have no criticism in this. I just have what I would call clear seeing. And I also recognize that I'm biased <laughs> based on my experience. But Honestly, anybody listening, there isn't any judgment or criticism or anything in, in what I'm about to say. But to me, it's all stories. So is there really a fifth dimension? And can you really move from the whatever to the fifth dimension? And then in the fifth dimension, these things are possible? To my bias, no. There's just stories. You read Harry Potter, is there really magic or not magic? It doesn't make any difference. There's magic in the story. And and in the story, the magic appears to be real. There can be stories where there appears to be this dimension and that dimension in the fifth, and people are moving into the fifth, and as they move into the fifth, da-da-da-da happens, and that can appear to be true. There can also be people that, uh, you know, could be in my sphere of influence or could be in another sphere of influence, never hear about the term fifth dimension, never study any of that, but are having experiences that are what I call now call ultimate freedom or phase three, which are synonyms, 
fifth dimension is just a story, you know. It makes certain kinds of things possible. And, and it's all about stories. So to me, it's not, quote-unquote, the way it is. It isn't, quote-unquote, what's really happening right now. It's just the unfoldment of one story. And it makes it possible for a whole lot of people um, to experience that particular story and be able to play, explore, and, and express creatively, which is what I think the whole human story is about, is who we really are, playing, exploring, and expressing itself creatively, just like the author of fiction is. And so fifth dimension or all these other different kinds of things, but it, it affects everything. You know, it affects karma, it affects reincarnation, it affects... Um, life after death, it, it's all just stories. It's all just opportunities to have amazing experiences. And um, those some stories are active in certain people's lives and some stories aren't. You know, mm. I'm one of three kids. Mm. My brother's never heard of any dimensions and doesn't care. My sister has heard of them, uh, probably believes some of it. My parents have no idea. If you said fifth dimension, they would say, what? They'd have no idea what you're talking about. It's irrelevant to their story, but it's important to certain other stories, temporarily or long-term. But to me, everything's stories, and it's just a question of which ones are active in your life, your story, and which ones aren't. But to me, none of it's real, none of it's true, none of it is the way it is, none of it is a global, universal explanation of what's going on right now. It's just stories within stories within stories. Yeah, I just I love that. It's because it's so easy to say that okay, well this real physical world isn't real, but you know, the other galaxies and aliens are, right? And um it's just it's so lightening to know that everything is just a story and we really are all playing and all of our, you know, playing fields are the same and wonderful and um yeah, it's just it's great. So, thank you for that. I mean, where I live, they just opened this brand-new movie theater that has 12 theaters in it. So if I were to walk into that theater right now, there's 12 different movies. You know, some would be science fiction and fantasy, and some would be action, and some would be romance, and some would be this, and some would be that, and some would be dark, you know, the subjects. There are people who would say no to what I'm about to say, but in general, if I were to say to people... I'm going to give you two options. You know, you come to one of these movie theaters. I'm going to give you two options. One, you can go into this theater, you can sit in the seat, and you can have the experience like you normally do of a movie. Or I'll give you option B. I'll take you into this other special total immersion movie theater, and, and I'll give you a different opportunity. You'll have the opportunity to forget who you are, become one of the characters in this story, Think everything they think, feel everything they feel, have every experience in this world, you know, that this character does, and then pop back out again. Remember who you really are, what's really going on, but retain everything that you experienced in that total immersion movie. Which movie theater would you like to go to? My bias is most people, especially if you could deal with any fear that might come up, would choose that total immersion experience versus the typical experience and that to me is what's really going on with this human game with this human story is that who we really are is totally immersing itself in these characters and having a total immersion experience of everything that interests it and that's what's really going on any aspect of the human game you know whether it's high finance it's war 
It's health and, and wellness. It's being a healer. It's being sick. It's being a parent. It's being this. It's being that. Any aspect in this, any what would happen if scenario that interests who we really are, a story is written, a total immersion movie is created, and there's the opportunity to be the character and have these experiences. And to me, this is the truth of what's going on. It's the magic of it. It's the amazing nature of it. And it also explains so many of these things, including the things that appear to be contradictory. Hmm. You know, it brings up 5,000 questions. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, one, I guess I wouldn't mind asking you. Um, I, it's not something I, I thought I was going to ask, but do you have a theory of what happens when we die? I, well, I see, this, play- is, this <laughs> is where I've been taken. I used to think that whether I knew it or not, there was one way that things are. You know, there's either life after death or there's not. And yeah. if there's life after death, then it's either this or this or this or this or this, and that's just the way it is, you know? What I've come to, to see with a capital S, meaning the truth, and experience with a capital E, is there isn't any one way that it is. Mm-hmm. So if, again, what I now call, what I used to call consciousness or expanded self, I now call true creative essence because to me it's a more accurate label. Um, if it wants to experience Rachel or Megan who dies and the awareness, you know, that they used to think of was Megan or Rachel or Robert or whatever, continue on and have some experience in a different dimension or whatever, then it can do that. And if the story's over and the story's over and True Creative Essence says, I'm done with this character, not in a judgmental puppet way, you know, but just... You know, where's Harry Potter now? The mm-hmm. last book ended, you know, with him 18 years or whatever after beating Voldemort, and Harry Potter technically ceased to exist, you know, not really, but J.K. Rowling was done with that character. You know, nothing bad happened. It's just that story's over. So if True Creative Essence wanted to have no life after death for a particular character, it can do that. And if it wanted to create that you go to some dimension where da-da-da-da happens, it can do that. If it wanted to go into some place like you read about, you know, where their lost souls don't realize they're dead and they're stuck, you know, and they need help to be rescued and taken to the, to the light, you know, they can do, True Creative Essence can write a story like that. So, but there isn't any one way it is, is my bias now. It's, again, what is true creative essence, who we really are? What does it want to play with and explore? And how does it want to express itself? What kind of a story does it want to experience through the eyes of a unique character? And if it's interested in something, it'll happen. And if it's not, it won't. So, but it isn't, again, one way. So what's going to happen to Robert when he dies? I don't know. It, it could mm-hmm. be any of that kind of stuff. It could be the end, and there'd be some sort of, uh, you know, merger back. Or where did Harry Potter go? You know, he didn't go anywhere. Um, so it gets tricky. But the most important thing to me is the point that I made. There isn't any one way that it is. There's a million different ways, billion different ways it could be. And in terms of what's going to happen in a particular story, you just have to see how the story unfolds. There's no way to know. Hmm. That's a deep answer. As as someone who's been plagued with, in some ways, like a fear of death all my life, which I finally confronted a few years ago, and it led me on this really from 
from five years ago, not knowing what the word metaphysical really meant. I was analytical Megan. I was an engineer, you know, just lived that story to ramping up to hosting a radio show with my new best friend, Psychic, on having my own experiences. It's, um, yeah, it's this fast thing. So the, the topic of death is always fascinating to me because because it's always been a fear of mine. I think I'm better about it, but yeah, maybe I'm always looking for a happy ending. <laughs> well, we're all conditioned all to this. Okay. The big change that happened to me after knocking out a lot of cloud cover is that when I was younger, I was curious about everything, and I wanted to know answers to things like that. And what ultimately happened, and I didn't make a decision. It's going to sound like I did in the way that I narrate this. It just happened is that all of a sudden what happened is if there's a question that I can't ever know the answer for certain about, mm-hmm. or if there's an answer to a question that even if I could be certain that the answer was correct, it wouldn't really affect my life at all, I just stopped asking the question. Yeah. And there are so many of these questions that ultimately fall into those two categories. And If you're reading a really great novel, if you're watching a really great movie, and you're curious about what's going to happen to the hero, you have no choice but to continue turning the pages of the book or or sitting and waiting for the movie or TV show, series, whatever it unfold. And it's the same thing ultimately with all of us for so many of these kinds of questions is you ultimately have to, you know, keep turning the pages, keep allowing the story to unfold, and then it'll answer itself in a real way not a speculation, theoretical, idea, concept way. Um, And again, there's no negative to this. There's no giving up of something valuable or precious and you've lost something or your life isn't as whatever as it used to be. It's all very empowering and very freeing, but that's ultimately where I was taken. And I I don't know what's going to happen when I die, so I don't Mm -hmm. concern myself with it. I live my life day to day, and when the time comes, we'll see. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for answering that, because it is an odd question on an interview, right? What do you think happens? But that's <laughs> <laughs> that's where my head goes. Rachel, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. In terms of just not caring about those questions anymore, I can kind of relate to that. And all my life, I've I've seen things that people haven't seen, and you know, couldn't like when I explained myself to people, they didn't really understand, and it never bothered me. You know, I never cared if what I was seeing or experiencing was true or not. And I never cared if people believed me or not. Um, It was just that sense, like, it doesn't matter if it's real or not. It's just what I'm experiencing at the moment. So I kind of get that where it doesn't diminish you at all if it's not real or true. It's just your experience and that's all it has to be. Yeah, and again, if you think of a writer of fiction... Uh, A writer of fiction is omnipotent. They can make anything happen to any character in any way. They can, what I call, energize any cause-and-effect story that they want to. Truly unlimited power. And to me, who we really are is the same exact way. So it can make anything appear to be true to make a great story, you know, a unique story to create the opportunity to have a unique kind of an experience. And... um, Again, that's why there are so many of these different things and people that say, no, 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 this is the way it is because da-da-da happened to me or I this or that. And all of that can be true, you know, but different stories 
different purposes, different things being played with and explored in different ways, which is why things appear to work differently. Hmm. So we have a question for you from the chat from Supernatural Radio, and uh, he or she writes, what is success to Robert? Well, see, this is one of those funny things. There's two levels of success. There's at what I call the story level, and there's at what I call the truth level. At the truth level, there's no such thing as success and failure, because the author is writing the story that it wants to write. It's unfolding. It's experiencing exactly what it wanted to experience and doesn't make mistakes, you know. Um, There's no failure for J.K. Rowling based on what happened in the story. You know, she wrote the story she wanted to write. The characters said and did what she wanted them to do. So at the truth level, the highest level of truth, there's no such thing as success or failure. Uh, There's just what's the story about. And there's all kinds of stories about heroes, you know, that get the prize at the end, and there's stories about heroes that don't, or there's stories about heroes that have da-da-da-da goal, and they don't get that goal, but they realize there was another goal that was more important, and they get that one, and so there's... So at the truth level, there's no such thing. To me, at the story level, success and failure is simply about the same kind of a thing. It's that you do what your character was written to do. And at the story level, that can be setting goal A and going through a whole journey to get from point A to point B, which is getting goal A. It's It's just the story unfolding the way it was meant to unfold. There's so much stuff in mainstream psychology and and self-help and also metaphysical and esoteric stuff about, you know, everything's perfect exactly the way it is, and there's all kinds of things that we think are failure that aren't, you know. So many things that would have been called failure and that I consider to be failure on my journey. If they hadn't happened, I wouldn't be where I am now, which is experiencing, you know, if I hadn't had all kinds of failures, I never would have reached that desperation point I described before. So to me, success and failure are myths. But at the story level, there can be certain things that you could say, you know, I set this goal and I ended up achieving it in my story. You could say Harry Potter was a success because he defeated Voldemort. But you could also say that some of the characters that died helping to defeat Voldemort were a success because they played their role in helping to defeat Voldemort. So when you really dig beneath the surface, success and failure don't mean much. But there can be stories related to them within a story if there was a particular goal and that goal was achieved. But it gets really murky when you really pull back the curtain. And there's a lot of this, again, in metaphysical kinds of teachings, that there's no such thing as a mistake and there's no such thing as failure. It's all contributing. But at the story level, a character can succeed in achieving a particular goal. Uh, But it gets tricky. It gets murky. So to me, there really isn't any such thing anymore. There's just the story. The story's going to unfold. Things are going to happen. It's going to move where it moves. It's going to end the way it ends, and there isn't any such thing, except in a story that the mind tells, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's such, so, <laughs> Robert, what do you read these days? Because it must feel like when you read other books, I don't. do you still feel like you have stuff to learn? Do you see through most books are... 
are kind of simplified or not are living in phase one. Do you know what I'm saying? Versus is it hard to find things to challenge you? No, I, I mean, I go in waves. There are times I don't mm-hmm. read much at all. There are times I read a bunch of biographies in a phase. There are times I'll mm-hmm. read a different... I don't read self-help stuff anymore. I don't read metaphysical stuff anymore. I don't read what mm-hmm. would typically be called spiritual books very much unless I discover something like, for example, in the, the latest teaching that I share that Rachel knows about that's called The Ultimate Key to Freedom, there are teachings that are in that that are in the arena of what we're talking about here. And I happened to discover an ancient Chinese, what would be called spiritual teacher. I mean, he lived hundreds of years ago. And he spoke in Chinese, you know, So, but some, some uh, scrolls supposedly were found in a cave, and an American was told about them, and he translated these scrolls of this ancient Chinese teacher, whose name is Wu Xin. And I just find that this Wu Sin guy was talking about stuff hundreds of years ago. Now, again, he's just a character in a story, you know, but mm-hmm. they really align with where I was taken on this journey. So I, I've read every single book that's been written about, uh, that's been sharing these teachings of this Wu Sin guy, because to me it completely supports where I've been taken on this journey. So that's the only exception. But I don't read things trying to find some magic formula to manifest what I want in my life and to, to try and figure out who I am, you know, or what's really going on with this human. I don't experience, I don't read that kind of stuff. There are times I'll read a nonfiction book on a particular topic. I'm fulfilling mm-hmm. a dream right now of writing a novel. I actually have a series mm-hmm. of six novels planned, and I'm working on the first one, and so I've been studying the art of writing fiction and the art of storytelling and things like that. And um, But I go in spurts. There are times I don't read much of anything, um, and I'm always aware of the fact that all of it is stories and all of it is things that are just showing up in my story to support my story, but not putting an awful lot of stock in it again or thinking this is the way it is or this is whatever. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, that's what I expected to hear. So that's interesting. And I, I go through the same thing. I go through waves. And I love that Rachel asked me a while back, have you outgrown anything? <laughs> and it's true. You you kind of go on these spurts and then you realize a bigger picture and something and then you just lose interest. Um, do you ever feel a little detached? Like sometimes I think I, I with this new awareness, I, I look around at maybe my friends and some of the chaos and the drama that they're living in every day. And um, I feel a little detached from it. Like it's just a crazy story that they're living in and, and spiraling. And um, is it interesting for you to watch other people? And do you want to? Oh yeah. I'm fascinated (laughs) by everybody and everything. If I were to, if, if I get really interested in somebody, like I'll give you an example. I was at a party a couple of months ago and there's a guy there who's a doctor and he specializes in helping people, couples who can't have kids. You know, they're having issues with fertility and stuff. And I interrogated him for about two hours at this party because okay. things have really changed in that in that industry in terms of being able to figure out what's wrong and all this stuff. And then he was telling me there sometimes it really is a physical thing and sometimes it's an emotional thing. You know, one of the parents doesn't really want to have kids and it's psychological and... He was telling me all of this stuff, and I, 
I'm fascinated by just about everything. Um, I'm not interested in politics, and I'm not interested in what most people would call small talk. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not so interested yeah. in sports anymore and stuff. But if you mm-hmm. get into the nitty-gritty of what people's lives are like and what their paths have been like and different slices of life, again, like this doctor or other people that are doing I'm fascinated by just about everything and just about every one. It, even if it's, you know, and when I say this, it sounds like I'm being judgmental. I don't mean it that way. But there are times I've been in a building and there's been a janitor cleaning up the building. And I, for whatever reason, have engaged them in conversation and found out about their character and their story. And that was fascinating. Or a bus driver or a, this whole human story has become beyond fascinating to me. I was always kind of like that, but I'm much more like that now. But no, I... To me, in terms of feeling detached or whatever, sometimes people think that that's what's happening, and it isn't really true. It's just an illusion. And sometimes it is true, but in general, it's a a blip. It's a way station on the road into truth fully awakening, because to my bias, when you're really experiencing the truth of things, it couldn't be more opposite to detached. You know, you mm-hmm. couldn't be more involved with everything. It's just that you're more involved with everything in a radically different way, mm-hmm. but not detached mm-hmm. at all or disassociated or anything like that. It, it's exactly, you know, it couldn't be more opposite in terms of mm-hmm. what I've experienced and seen other people experience. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a bunch of questions on the phone. I think is it okay if we take one, Robert? Whatever you want. Great. Okay. So I'm going to 860515. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Megan. It's Rebecca. Hi. Hi, Rebecca. Do you have a question for Robert? Yes, I do. Robert, oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> I um, I read the Busting Loose book back in March, and uh, I I kind of, it seems like I have this pattern of doing the phase two material in cycles, because when you sent out the Journey to the Infinite, um, videos. I I hadn't really done much of the the phase two work in a while, and then I kind of got back into it. And I have I have so many questions, but I'm just I'm gonna pick one. Um, so I, it seems like when I when I do phase two, um, and I get to a point like you talk about the movie The Game a lot, and how you know it's supposed to part of the design is that you get taken to this really intense place. Um, I find that when I get to that intense place, um, the phase three stuff kind of comes into my sphere of awareness and I feel motivated to switch to that, but then I get confused. So like if you're experiencing something like that, do you, is there a way to kind of combine phase two and phase three, or would you recommend just doing phase three, um, well, first of all, I have to explain how I see phase one, phase two, and phase three. Phase one is about the cloud cover being built. It's about unique, limiting and restricting, opposite to who you really are, stories and dynamics locking in, and then having all kinds of experiences of limitation and restriction and being opposite to who you really are. That's what phase one is about building the cloud cover and living with the cloud cover in place, which blocks out either a knowledge of or experience of the son of who you really are. The way I I language it now, and this came after the Busting Loose book was written, so this isn't in the book, 
the way I look at phase two now is that phase two is the drilling operation. Phase two is when you go into the cloud cover and using the tools, you systematically undermine the structural integrity of it, drill tunnels and poke holes and knock out chunks so that more and more of the sun can shine in. And to me, phase three is when you're playing in the sunshine. You're not using the tools anymore. There's no more cloud cover that's limiting or restricting you. That doesn't mean that you have finger-snapping magic, but it just means that the cloud cover that was limiting you is no longer limiting you. And um, so it isn't really, to me, a question of when the going gets tough, do a phase three whatever, because if the going is perceived as being tough in that way, then you're in phase two, you're not in phase three, and you can't mix the two. But in the book, it was really just phase one and phase two, and I combined the drilling operation and playing in the sunshine and called them both phase two. And then when I actually began to experience more and more of the sunshine, I realized, wow, this is so different from the drilling that I need to break it out, give it another label, and talk about it differently, which is when I then started talking about phase three. So phase two is about drilling through the cloud cover, undermining the structural integrity of it, and doing something that allows more and more sunshine to shine in. And I never found anything other than the tools that I shared that did that for me. So I have a bias about that. But the truth is, anything that's done that's undermining the structural integrity of the cloud cover is doing the phase two work, is the drilling operation. And, but then phase two is when you're just playing in a radically different way. You all still there? Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There was okay. a little, little And the way I invite people to look at this is imagine that you're in phase one and a magical portal opens up in the air. And it's a, it's a portal that takes you from phase one to phase two. And imagine, it's like the portal on my website, if you've ever seen the logo at the top. There's this portal that opens up in space. Imagine you walk through that. You're now in phase two. And then that portal seals itself up, and phase one's gone. You're now in a phase two world. And then you do whatever you're going to do in a phase two world, and then imagine that a phase three portal opens, and you go through it, and then the phase three portal seals itself up, and you're now in a phase three world. These portals don't open and close, and you don't go through them, and then they open up and you go backwards. You know, it's, it's all or nothing. You're either in phase one or you're not. You're either in phase two or you're not, and you're either in phase three or you're not. And if you're in phase three, it's all about play and having a radically different relationship to everything that happens inside of you and outside of you. And as long as you're in phase two, stuff's happening to help you exchange lies, illusions, and stories for truth, knock out the cloud cover however you want to language it. But it's an all-or-nothing kind of a thing. Yeah. That's how I see it and have experienced it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember you mentioned that even in Journey to the Infinite, that you don't really go back and forth. It's, it's a forward progression. Does that answer your question, Rebecca? Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. When I, I, when I was referring to Phase 3, I was talking about the, um, the material in the, the Ultimate Key to Freedom books and uh, with letting the, the truth virus you know, dismantle the mind machine. I was equating that with phase three, but your explanation definitely has made it more clear. Well, that can happen too. Again, for me, as I mentioned at the beginning, my journey was very sequential. 
And after using the tools for a long time and knocking out a lot of cloud cover, I began to see things in the sunshine. And one of the things I saw was what I call the truth about emotions. And that's what was written in the happiness book. But if somebody, uh, ultimate key to happiness that you're referring to. But I've shared this stuff with people who now have that as an option, like you're talking about, and then have the busting loose stuff. And all you have to do is just, and this may not make sense to people listening that haven't read The Ultimate Key to Happiness, but in the Phase 2 teachings, it's all about using the process when you're uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. And in, in the happiness book, you realize there isn't really any such thing as uncomfortable. So you just have to change it to you use the process whenever there's a, a big amount of emotion moving. But then everything mm-hmm. else is the same. So there's some slight adjustments that can be made. And people can still use the Phase 2 tools and embrace that model. And then there are other people that uh, can make the leap from Phase 2 into Phase 3 without having to use those tools for as many years as I did and having stuff like the game and all the other stuff. And that's what the ultimate key to happiness and ultimate key to freedom work is all about. Um, It's things that weren't possible for me on my journey but are possible for people now because of my journey and, and what I'm now sharing and offering. So two possibilities. One could be that someone's journey through the cloud cover in phase two would include a long-term use of those tools like it was for me, or it could be that they discover those tools, they do a little bit of work in the cloud cover, and then discover what you're calling the phase three stuff, and that's what would knock out the rest of the cloud cover. But the same thing is still true. You know, you're either in phase one completely or not. You're either in phase two completely or not. You're either in phase three completely or not, even if there's a set of tools that you're using that can take you into phase three faster in a different way, it's still all or nothing. Does that make sense? Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. If you're serious about busting loose from everything that has been limiting and restricting you and opening into a direct experience of truth with a capital T and who you really are, I have a gift that I'd like to offer you. It's an online experience that I call Journey to the Infinite that was taken from a live event that I did. People paid $900 to attend the live event and many, many others paid as much as $400 for the online or shippable course but now it's available free of charge as my gift to you and to the world. To get all the details and get immediate access to the Journey to the Infinite experience, visit my site, robertscheinfeld.com forward slash infinite. robertscheinfeld.com forward slash infinite. That completes another episode of the Illusions and Truth Show with Robert Scheinfeld. 